This episode is available ad-free for Peakery Tribe members. Go to peacefulcreativity.com slash join the tribe, subscribe for free and get the ad-free version. Well, hello everybody. My name is Arno. I'm a coach in creativity and peace of mind and welcome to the Peaceful Creativity Podcast. My guest for this episode is Bastien Benkelil. Bastien is a sound designer, Foley artist and composer based in North Hollywood. We talk about his incredible story from the south of France till the north of Hollywood and collaboration with Sigur Ross, The Foo Fighter, Clara de Levigne, Terence Malik, Rihanna and many, many more. This is the first part of my conversation with Bastien where we focus on his past and incredible encounters over a career spanning nearly two decades. Bastien is the proof that everything is possible if you put your energy to it. And uh, the second part will be more geared toward his life philosophy and how he managed to get there. This episode is brought to you by the Peakery Tribe. Go to peacefulcreativity.com slash join the tribe, subscribe and get access to the ad-free version of this podcast, the three steps method to find your peace of mind now ebook, and many more creative and peaceful goodnesses. Again, that's peacefulcreativity.com slash join the tribe. And now, dear listeners, please enjoy the first part of my conversation with Bastien Benkeli. Bastien, welcome to the show. Thank you, Arno. Uh, welcome and thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, it's, it's great to be with you and looking forward to, uh, to discuss with you. Uh, thank you, man. Thank you. Very, very happy to to talk to you too. Uh, you and I go way back to 2003 uh, or 2004, maybe in the south of France. We uh, we used to study together musicology, mm -hmm. and um, I remember that uh, you back in the day you were making us all envious because you were telling us some crazy story about you. Uh, you know, playing with DJs in Miami and having some crazy sexual adventures all around the place. Uh, so it's uh, it's every time I talk to you, uh, I always think about this story and they made me really happy. But luckily, this was just one step uh, in a great career. So maybe, Bastien, can you introduce yourself and say to our listeners who don't know you, what do you do? Yes, of course. So yeah, like like you mentioned, yeah, we go way back, and then we studied uh, music in uh, in Aix-en-Provence, in, uh, in at the university, uh, and basically to go back where I come from, um, my um, I've started playing music since I was literally four uh, four years old. And mm. um, and I pretty much grew up surrounded by music, with my my dad being a, a professional upright bass player that that plays a lot of jazz and classical music. So mm. I was able to really grow in that environment and assisting to him playing and rehearsing and recording. And um, and of course, as a result, you know, I I fell into the the bucket, like we say, and and and, and I. <laughs> immediately knew that you know my life would be all about music somehow um yeah also i love technology at the same time so that's why when i grew older it was kind of the natural uh thing to do to merge those two pa passions together and and 
and and you know go more toward the engineering as well as of course the music writing and sound designing but basically you know like finding all those areas where i could merge those two uh passion of mine which is technology and and music or basically whatever said would be passionate about sound altogether um and to make it short tell me if i'm just taking too much time to go through no 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 no. come on you're the guest we want to hear we want to hear your story man so yeah like like you mentioned to go back you know to uh to uh to to the early days like i can say um I was lucky enough since a young age to be able to to come to LA um, in order to uh, to intern in some recording studios around town, and and that was really revealing. Like I know I was 16 years old the first time I interned in a, in a studio in Los Angeles for wow. a few months. And uh, yeah, I immediately knew that you know that that's what I wanted to do, and that's where I wanted to be. Um, that said, of course, my parents were insisting on me finishing my studies before leaving, which of course made, made a lot of sense. Yeah. That's what parents do usually. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You (laughs) make a lot of sense at first. I was not at them, but then you're like, oh, okay, no, you were right. Come on. Okay. (laughs) So I listened to them like a little grumpy because they wouldn't let me go, but I listened to them and I signed on to the university. So then, you know, uh, three years later at this point and, uh, and decided to study musicology, uh, to, uh, to get a diploma. Uh, so I could then apply for a visa to leave. Basically that was the main, uh, main reason. Um, and, uh, then here we go a few years later and I got offered, like you mentioned that, that, uh, gig in Miami beach, <laughs> um, that was the first try, you know, like a first opportunity to go there and try and see how it worked. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's Miami beach. So it was fun for a little bit, um, but then of course it's also very small and the music scene is very very much the same everywhere so you know it's not the most diversified scene at least it wasn't at the time i was there um, yeah which motivated and, and you were yeah sorry you you were playing if i remember correctly you were playing keyboard alongside djs there right that, that is correct yeah i met some djs uh, called dj jp rigo there that was a pretty well established dj uh, on the miami beach scene and um yeah we just decided one time we played a little bit together he had a keyboard and he asked me to play and he really liked it and uh and then yeah he offered me to do um he had a residency uh, at an hotel called the Raleigh hotel mm-hmm. uh, and yeah we would play there pretty much every day um and yeah that was a great experience you know because of course it was it was Miami, meaning he was in a pretty laid back environment, but still, yeah. you know, you had to still play about like four, five, six hours a day. Um, mm. That was pretty great to practice and, you know, just like to learn how to also play on tracks that you never heard before and then be quick at at, at finding something that would work on top of them. Um, yeah. So that was, that was interesting, uh, but I got tired of it. 
uh, I would think, you know, six months into it, more or less, it was, well, first time to go back to France for the exam at the university. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and then also I, that's when I started. I got offered that internship <clears throat> in uh, at DreamWorks in L.A., and uh well yeah at dreamworks yeah yeah oh, i did okay. i did uh, my very first inter internship when i moved here was for dreamworks studios wow. uh for i stayed there about eight months was great um it was also of course the very beginning so you know i was discovering all this world and and it was just really a lot of information to take in. But at least yeah. what this job was interesting for was to at least give me an overview of everything I could potentially do. You know, it's yeah. like, oh, okay, that's a possibility, that too. And uh, and that was pretty, pretty great for that because, you know, as an intern, they would move me from one department to the other and from one position to the other to just kind of get a little sense of how everything was working together yeah which, which was, is great i mean at, at this point uh, it, it really gives you like the big picture and you can say well i resonate more with that or this is this might not be for me this part of the job so it's great exactly. that you had the opportunity to see everything like that yeah no that was really great uh great opportunity uh, to to be exposed to it because obviously it's uh, you know, when it comes to sound design and audio post-production in general, as much as there is schools that teach you about it, um, there is also so much that cannot be taught, but just you need to experience and learn yeah. and practice and do again and again and again and again. Uh, and that's kind of, you know, there is no book you, you can take and learn all that stuff. So yeah, yeah. I was really grateful um, to, to be given this opportunity that then led me to my first job in L.A., um, that was in a professional recording studio um, called The Enterprise. That, that was a gorgeous uh, recording studio that used to be owned by Barbara Streisand. She built it like in the wow. 80s. Um, uh -huh. And it was a gorgeous room um, that, that would host an orchestra and they would do a lot of scoring for, for some um, TV shows, in particular The Simpsons and Family Guys. Um, so that was great to be, and also King of the Hill, that is another cartoon here. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so that was, that was actually really great to be around also those sessions as much as, of course, at this point, I was purely assisting. Um, yeah. How old, how old were you at this point? I was, so I must have been 24 or 25, 25, I believe. Wow. Yeah, yeah, 25. Uh -huh. Must have been amazing to be in such a context that young, you know? It like, was pretty so... incredible because, you know, as much as it was hard to be away from family and friends and having to adapt to a new way of life, in a way, it was also mm -hmm. very exciting, you know, to be in L.A. assisting to some recording session. It was really the L.A. picture, the perfect L.A. picture. Yeah. Um, 
So no, that that was really I learned a lot from uh, from people like Dan Wallin, that is an incredible mixer, score mixer that has worked on over like 400 movies and is just absolutely incredible. I mean, he can mix an orchestra without even looking at the orchestra or the board and prepare <laughs> while drinking his coffee and they start playing and it's incredible. Uh, but yeah, that was a great learning curve, you know, a great, great opportunity to be among, to be around those guys and, and try to learn and, and, and understand how everything was working. Yeah. Um, and that lasted another six months more. Yeah. And then I pretty much the studio told me they were going to close down. So, you know, everybody was laid off. Oh. And, uh, well, that was okay. Now what? Because, of course, you know, all of a sudden was the first time I didn't have a job in L.A. And as you might imagine, you can't stay without a job in L.A. Yeah, yeah. Long. <laughs> and also, can I, can I ask you, when you say everybody was laid off, it was like American style that one day you go to the office, so in your case, to the studio, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah. basically you don't finish the day? No, it was, we, we had like a two weeks notice, but yeah, okay, yeah, okay. at least we had two weeks, but you know, yeah. it's just a, a, a slightly better way because of course, two weeks doesn't, doesn't allow for much to do. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, at least, at, at least we had a little, um, a little notification ahead of time that that was going to happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was quite stressful because of course you know my my visa was expiring and i had just renewed my visa for this new company for the for mm -hmm. the studio and then they tell me they closed down so meaning you know i was well i just have to go back to france now yeah and lucky but you I, didn't <laughs> huh? but you didn't you didn't I go didn't, back to yeah i tried not to and i, I succeeded so far uh, uh so yeah i pretty much you know started looking for jobs found this job uh in a software company a music software company that that was called smart sound software um mm -hmm. that uh was very interesting because again if you remember i mentioned about my dual passion technology and music and and that job was really giving me a lot of both since yeah. it was a software that allowed you pretty much to edit your music automatically using AI mm. and algorithms, which uh, which I was pretty much in charge of, of of developing the algorithms, and I had a team of developers that I would work with, and and you know trying oh. to find new ways to. Uh, for computer basically to hear the music as close as we do so it can make musical decisions on its own. Um, yeah, can you tell us a bit about that? Because that's that's fascinating. And especially because it's like maybe, what, seven years ago? Ten, no, mm -hmm. nine years ago? That or, was about and, like seven. I started working with them in 2008. Oh okay. Yeah. Seven. Yeah. So yeah, it's about yeah, it's it's been a while now. Wow. Yeah. So I mean AI wasn't on uh I mean that 
of course it was developing but uh, not everybody was talking about ai as no. they are now so and you which kind of technical background do you have like do you know to program or to so how did or how did you communicate with the developers Exactly. So I don't have like a, 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 a solid developer background. I never studied programming deeply, although I did in France uh, a couple years of, of, of programming uh, degree at the university. So I learned really like the basics, uh, uh-huh. you know, on as much as I didn't learn the programming languages per se, I did learn the algorithmic approach, you know, so how do you need to write an algorithm, um, which my job at this, um, at this company was basically since I had that, that understanding of music because of my studying, you know, um, my deep studying of music and my understanding of how computer algorithms needs to be written, even if in plain English, I would most most of the time I would pretty much write the the algorithm in plain English and then give it to the team of programmers that would then translate it in whatever language mm-hmm. was the most adapted to uh, to get done what we needed to get done. Mm. Um, so yeah, you know, it's pretty much like you know if you need to change a, a, a tire on your car, what's the algorithm for it? So you know, you would have like. First, before you even raise the car, apply the brake. That's step one. Step two, mm-hmm. you would first unlock the nuts before you start raising the car. Three, you would jack the car up. Four, you would undo the nuts, remove the old yeah. well. I mean, you see where I'm going. So it's yeah, pretty yeah, much yeah, an yeah. algorithm. You need to write it with every step spelled out and and learn how to decompose a complex issue into very simple steps, which is a great approach to life in general to have, you know, it's not just yeah. for, for programs. It's uh, it's pretty much something I try to apply to everything I do. Yeah. Yeah. Rightfully so. Yeah. Because like everything can be cut into smaller pieces and, Uh, then you just need to take the baby steps uh, one after the other and you can reach whatever goal you want. So, exactly. But sometimes I, I think some the, the issue that people have and that like everybody probably has is that sometimes you cut a problem into small steps and then you need to cut one of these steps into small steps mm-hmm. and then again and then again and again. And it gets, uh, you know, we lose energy or we lose ourselves in all those baby steps. But uh, it, that as a general framework, I think that's an excellent way to approach anything. No, I agree. As long as you can keep uh, keep track, you know, uh, of exactly, like you say, if you can in- identify the problems, they are solved. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like as long yeah. as you know the problem, it's solved. It might take time, but but the hardest is to know what you need to work on and what's mm. wrong. And then once that's identified, it's just a ma- matter of putting the work in and mm. accepting that it might take a day, it might take a year, it might take yeah. five years. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. You know? But as long as you're still moving toward that 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 big goal, doesn't really matter how long it takes. Yeah, 
And okay, so so we're gonna talk about your your big goal because I guess you're leaving it now. But probably you have an even bigger goal. But uh, let's let's continue. So after sure. this uh, software company or during or because I remember at one point uh, back in 2011, mm -hmm. I, I went to LA and we could uh, meet for for a little bit. That's, that's right. Of time. Yeah, and it was awesome. Uh, despite and yeah, and I was gonna say despite your schedule because you were having a crazy life. Uh, you were working, I don't know, maybe eighty to hundred hours a week because right. you had like this this software company job during the day, mm -hmm. and then you were you were having starting your your anomaly studio, right? That is correct. Yeah, it was a time where I was pretty much, you know, that that time where I was not enough solid yet uh, on my own as my own company that I, of course, still needed to keep uh, my my job at the at the software company uh, yeah. in order to be able to first, well, finance the construction of the studio and develop my skills and also uh well altogether learn you know because I, I it's it's very i think as much as i don't necessarily cherish working in a corporate environment it's something that it's great to learn how it works and you know it gives you certain ways of thinking and ways of working and ways of communicating Uh, that then is very important to use in my own business. Basically, I studied the business so I could apply it, or at least what I liked about it, I could apply it to my own business model. You know, over the years, uh, every time I had some success in the music business or, or whatever, and I wanted to kind of put things in perspective, I would go and I would check your Facebook feed or I would send you a message like, hey, how are you doing, man? And you would go back like, oh, yeah, I'm good. I just work with the Foo Fighters or I just work with Siguros. And the, the list of people you worked with or worked for is like it blows my mind and it keeps Rihanna. So uh, what's, the, what's the biggest project uh, you've worked on? This episode is brought to you by the Picri tribe. Go to peacefulcreativity.com slash join the tribe, subscribe, and get access to the ad-free version of this podcast, the three steps method to find your peace of mind now ebook, and many more creative and peaceful goodnesses. Again, that's peacefulcreativity.com slash join the tribe. Uh, let's start with the biggest. What you the what biggest. you consider the biggest? Okay, then we see about the biggest. The biggest would probably be, uh, well, you mentioned those Rihanna commercials. That was pretty big. Uh, I did this last year. Um, basically, I've been working with a, a, a commercial director uh, called Philippa Price. She's incredible. And she actually got uh, in charge of developing Rihanna's brand. Um, she has um, a fashion brand as mm -hmm. well as a lingerie brand now called Savage X Fenty. Mm -hmm. um, that I was, you know, I got asked to write music for the campaign and uh, the fashion show, um, which was an incredible experience. And As much as it's always very fast-paced environment, everything needs to go extremely quick. Mm 
in a way, it's it's nearly like a drug to see everybody, you know, like really at very high pace and just getting it done. And in a way, it's, it was very challenging, but just to see that whole group of people, you know, like really pushing to get it done as good as possible was really, really great. I, I, I love to work in that fast-paced environment uh, mm. because, of course, the drawback is you got to work fast and you can't waste too much time. But there is something also about having to get it done. Yes. You know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. There is just a feeling about, you know what? Okay. I, it needs to be done. It doesn't mean I'm not going to do a, a lesser job. It just means, okay, no time to waste. Let's be efficient. Let's focus and, 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 and to keep it also fresh, you know, because if you spend too much time figuring it out, sometimes then the spontaneity is gone. And, 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 and you're struggling because you start to overthink everything and you're stuck. So yeah. that, that's what I love. I, I loved working in, in commercial and especially with this team of people uh, that since then I've done a lot of commercials. This year I did the commercial with the same um, team for Puma Bauma. Um, mm-hmm. That was also fanta- a fantastic experience. It was for a, a, a fashion line uh, that was um, created by the actress Cara Delevingne. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it was great to to work with her and to uh, and and to organize. We did also the fashion show event in LA. Um, was very 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 interesting and 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 kind of a unique experience since we recreated the whole like fighting ring boxing fighting ring and the whole fashion show was pretty much happening wow. as a, as an old fashioned uh boxing match um which was really uh, really interesting um so yeah, I would think that's in terms of size like well, I would say commercial size. That might be the biggest projects I worked on. I mean, you seem you seems pretty excited about that because that was gonna be my my next question. So maybe for the for the future, which projects that you are you started now or that are coming are you most excited about? Oh, so this year has been incredible. Uh, there is a lot. Um, first, in a few days from now, actually. On the 13th of this month, is um, I, I I got incredibly honored to join the team for for Terence Malik uh, movie that is coming out. Um, it's called A Hidden Life, and it's an absolutely beautiful, stunning movie. I mean, I'm not sure if you're familiar with with the world of of Terence Malik. No, no, no at all. I don't know. He's just outstanding. Um, in terms of, of cinematography, is, is a true master. Um, and it's really a great feeling to have been called in because he only made maybe 10 movies in his career. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the chances to be part of, of one of his movies are pretty slim. And uh, he did very well at Cannes, um, was nominated for Golden Palm, and... He just got also submitted for the Academy Awards, so let's cross fingers. But it's, wow. it's really, it's really a, a beautiful film that that 
is a period piece um, based on true events. Uh, basically, it's based on the correspondence of, of a couple um, at the beginning of the Second World War uh, in Austria. And uh, we trace their life. And it's a m- movie with a very powerful message that is unfortunately like very relevant to today's situation in the world. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's something that I would highly recommend people to go see because it's uh, it's beautiful. It's a powerful message. It's very poetic, beautifully shot, and uh, and, yeah, and it's out on December on December thirteenth. Yeah, it's out this month. Okay, all yeah. right. So uh, uh, all the reference that you did so far will be in the show notes, obviously. But. Uh, um, you you look very excited about this and it sounds like like great so it's a a piece like a historical piece mm-hmm. at, the, at the during the second world war right exactly yeah yeah and what's your what's your role in there like what do you do so i guess it's around the sound but is it music is it no like in that else? movie i didn't contribute the music i um i was um i was the foley artist for the film so i guess we haven't talked about foley yet so that's yeah. a good uh, transition to yeah. it uh, yeah let's go into that just one one second because my family is behind the door and they no want problem. to enter so <laughs> just one second no problem So yeah, you were saying that in this upcoming movie, A Hidden Life by Terence Malik, you're not in charge of the music, but you are in charge of Foley. And uh, I remember that uh, when I visited you back in 2011, (laughs) sorry for the background noise. No problem. Uh, I remember that when... Okay, just need the crisis to go away. This is a slice of life. Exactly, it's part of, of it, you know. <laughs> just, just life. Hashtag authenticity. Exactly. <laughs> so back in yeah, back in 2011, I remember that you showed me. I was lucky enough to see your studio. So I guess it evolved a lot since then. But I remember that you showed me all these crazy things related to the folly. Mm-hmm. So maybe for people who are not uh, familiar with this term, because I wasn't, I didn't know what folly meant uh, before you explained me. Mm-hmm. Can you can you tell us a little bit what it is? Yeah, of course. So folly is pretty much, it, it got invented by this guy called Jack Foley in the middle of the 20th century, in the 50s. And... Um, it first was invented basically for the movie Spartacus. Um, because what happened back in the days, you know, Spartacus was a huge budget with a lot of huge battles. So a lot of uh, actors to call. It was very expensive. And the sound recordist on the set lost the audio for one scene. And it was with like five or six hundred actors, you know, that were just in the the middle of a battle. So there was absolutely no way they could reshoot that scene just for the audio. And that that Jack Foley came up with an idea that is like, you know what, I can recreate the sound for this scene. Um, We don't have to record the original sound. We can just play the picture and I can perform and re-record all those sounds. So 
he proposed to try this approach and took the film, took the scene and went and, and, and started, you know, to add like fork sounds to recreate the armors of the Roman uh, soldiers and then uh, started walking the footsteps in the studio and, and, and presented it to the producer that were blown away and like, oh my God, you are a genius. You saved us millions of dollars by doing yeah, this. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that, that, that's how it was born. And as the, the Hollywood film industry started to really export a lot of content all around the world, uh, there was a new need that that started, which was to dub, to translate all those projects in all the different languages, um, which meant that you had to remove the original soundtrack because the dialogue was merged in it with everything else that was recorded. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So this is when Foley became even more important. Uh, meaning you pretty much had to replace every sound or objects that an actor interacts with, such as, you know, could be his footsteps, it could be him opening a door, it could be him drinking some water, uh, it could be opening a car door, it could be uh, combing his hair, shaving his beard, whatever. All those sounds need to be re-recorded First of all, to add detail to the original soundtrack and also so that when it's uh, dubbed in different uh, in foreign languages, you don't lose all those sounds that makes the movie sound real. Uh, they can use that as yeah. a base to 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 add the the the, 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 the translated version of the dialogue. Uh, so yeah. for me, yeah, is really you know recreating while performing to the picture uh, all the human generated sound pretty much. So like I yeah. mentioned, it will be the footsteps, but it will be also all the hands on on the body scratching your face. Um, you know, uh, chair movements, uh, gun movements, uh, blood, if it's a gore movie, um, you know. Yeah, yeah. The- t- t- tell us about that, please, because I, I remember. So first of all, what you just explained, which is fascinating, it makes for a very entertaining, you know, recording studio because yeah. like you had you had like real sand and real rocks on which you would basically walk to record all that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, so I haven't witnessed that. But you told me that your, your work on the movie, uh, I Spit on Your Grave, too, yes. uh, involved, let's say, a lot of meat. So can you tell us about that? Yeah, so, you know, pretty much, like, I, I worked on that movie, I Speed on Your Grave 2, that was um, a reboot of an old uh, movie from the 70s, kind of a classic B-movie, uh, or, or B-movie, and it involves a lot of very nasty torture scenes that, you know, in order to sound in those movies is so important, because, you know, of course, the visual is disturbing, but the sound is... is Adds so much to to the to the realism of the makeup and the prop effects and all that. So uh, it you know like the way you do all a lot of all the, the the punches and sound and tearing flesh, all those disgusting sound is most of the time actually going and buying large chunk of meats 
uh, that you can punch and rip because, of course, you know that there is nothing that just sounds like the real thing. Uh, that's like <laughs> the closest you can get to it. Um, yeah. Or like recently, like I could uh, even like more interesting in this uh, department. I have a movie where it's kind of a American psycho type of character that just randomly attack people with a pair of brass knuckles. Uh, and we had to find a way on how to do like pretty much like very painful brass knuckle punches, like the same mm. way you would hear in fight club, the movie, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. you know, like where you really need to be in shock and feel the pain. Um, mm. And actually like, I had to read a lot about how they approach that in Fight Club. And a very genius idea they used is to actually take a chicken and stuff it with uh, walnuts. So oh, my God. Pretty much when you would punch the chicken, you would also have the walnut, uh, you know, the walnut inside that would crush and that would give oh, you that. God you know, the bone breaking aspect of the, of, of the, 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 the sound. Um, so I know it sounds disgusting and it is, but, um, it's very fascinating. You know, how we were talking at how to take a big problem and try to find, you know, yes. more simple, uh, elements that you can then layer and recreate that big complex thing. Um, yeah. that, that's a perfect example where, you know, you, we used, we recorded probably 30 or 40 layers of sound, you know, with different mics and mic placements and, and different, uh, amount of wetness to give them, you know, like, so when it start to be beaten up, it's pretty dry and crunchy, but as it goes, you need to get more wet and, and fleshy than bony. Yeah. So, you know, it's all those little details that that people might not immediately, like, point out in a film, but that really help to, uh, well, to, to, to transport you in the movie and to, to really experience the scene as closely as possible uh, from what the director had in mind. Yeah, sure. And I mean, you said it sounds disgusting, but for and yes, like the the chicken with walnut thing, uh, I, I'll give you that. But for me, even more than disgusting, it sounds like super, super creative because right. you're like, OK, how, how the hell do I do this sound? It's not like you can go to, you know, as you said earlier, there is no books about that. Of course, there are a few YouTube videos, but right. like. Every every sounds every variation of the sound you need to think about how it's made how it's decomposed what's the attack light what's mm -hmm. the, the the decay of the sound uh, and uh, I, I remember I did it a little bit for for a video game I remade the sounds off and um, basically I had like a, just the image and I had to make it realistic mm -hmm. and once once you focus on that it's kind of you know, a new way to look at the the world because, oh, yeah. like, okay, because like, okay, now I put everything, I put the footstep, I put like the door, but it sounds weird. Why did I forget? Oh yeah, the, the air condition or, oh mm -hmm. yeah, the, the no noise of the street. And it really, then, then it really make you look at the real world with, with even more amazement because there are so many stuff going on all the time that mm -hmm. that's wonderful. 
No, it's and, exactly like you say, like part of the job is to really uh, basically try to have a, 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 a repertoire of all the sounds in your head. So, you know, when I, when I walk in the street or anything, I constantly listen to everything around me and be like, oh, okay, that's how that sound. That's how yeah. specific sounds. And, you know, like, of course, sometimes I remember, sometimes I don't. And thankfully, there is a wonderful thing called YouTube where you can find anything <laughs> you want. And, yeah. you know, if you have any doubt, you can pretty much just uh, watch YouTube videos. Um, and, you know, pretty much like I had to do a video game that is um, it's called The Elder Scrolls. Um, yeah, you did The Elder Scrolls? I didn't do the full video game. I did like some cinematic sequence for it, uh, for okay. their expansion packs. Like I think it's called uh -huh. the uh, El Sire or something like that. I don't okay. remember the, the precise name of the expansion pack. But so yeah. you, if you know the game, yeah, it's a lot of dragons and, and, and armors and, 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 weapons i mean all the things basically that everybody has at home you know um so <laughs> yeah yeah we could we could hear my dragon earlier of course <laughs> so yeah, maybe you know. dragon but still <laughs> so that was a challenge too because you know sometimes what i love about this job is that in order to understand and perform the sounds you first have to kind of study so i had to go on youtube and find all those weird Uh, medieval channels of people dressing up and fighting just to know you know learn first all the vocabulary on how all the body armor parts are called and and pretty much like to kind of also see how it would sound you know kind of a take a, a print in my head on on what's the sound i want to achieve and then yeah. after that that step you know it's about like going in my collection of of stuff of random objects and and kind of being oh okay so now let's see i need an element that is going to be you know the chain mail that is like i can use this object for and then you need also the artic the articulation of the armor so that i will be able to use like various door hinges and stuff to have you know those those movements And, and that's how you pretty much start to, you know, like create layers of sound to recreate the armor uh, the way I, I hear it in my head. Yeah, yeah. One more time, decomposing one thing, one complex complex event into several, several yeah, elements. Yeah, it's always the key. Yeah. You know, at least to yeah. get the most accurate and precise result, that, that's always yeah. the best. And I remember something else you told me when when uh, when we met in LA that you told me about the concept of uh, altered reality or or embittered reality, like that if you just take a sword out of a sword guard or I don't know the mm -hmm. word, it makes basically a shitty sound. It makes doesn't yeah, make yeah. the sound that you expect. And that in order to have like the right sound of the sword, you need to take two swords and like you know rub them. Machine, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and uh, I, I really like this concept of making reality more real, you know? Uh, oh, yeah, like adding some realism, exactly, yeah, to, to over-real, you know, like sometimes to go for hyper-real. Um, hyper-real, yes, hyper-real, yes, yes. 
No, and yeah, you mentioned that was a great example. It's true. It's true. A, a good example is also weapon movement. You know, handgun movements. Uh, it's something that we never truly think about. But a real gun doesn't rattle when you move it around. You know, I mean, it doesn't sound like anything unless you you do something with it. It doesn't have any sound. But every movie. Uh, that we've heard or seen as that typical gun sound when, you know, they yes. do a fast turn or something like that, clap, you know, some, yeah, yeah, yeah. some sound. And it's technically wrong. I mean, if you take it like on the in the real world, that sound doesn't exist. Mm. But... People got so used, we got so used to associate seeing a movie and having that sound that now if a movie doesn't have the sound, it would sound weird. Yes. As yes. much as it's correct in terms of, of the reality of, of physics, you know. So this yeah. is an example of surreal that, that has been so assimilated by everybody that it became mm. normal. Yeah, exactly, and I mean, it, it's it's all part of the magic of uh, of cinema, right? Uh, because you don't go to the cinema to see boring story of people paying their taxes and things like that. So it's, right. I guess, it's it's just part of the picture as well that the sound. It just makes sense as well that the sounds as well are hyper realist or, or surrealist. But I think, I for example, I've never thought about that before. You told me so. I thought it was interesting to to share that. No, you, you're, you're totally correct. Yeah, that's that's a very interesting uh, to, to realize how, you know, our visual and to sound associations, the, basically, like, movies have altered our perception of sound, you know, to the way that if a lightsaber, everybody knows how it sounds. Yeah. But it doesn't exist. <laughs> So that's that's pretty interesting to see, you know, how there is just sounds like that that we as we associate, or spaceship engine, you know, it's just like sounds that we know we know the sound, but we don't. It's just that yeah. you know we 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 fa we fashioned uh, uh, we designed the sound that now is considered. Uh, or dinosaur roars, you know, like we have no clue how dinosaurs sounded, but to everybody, they sounded just like in Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess that if they resurrect, uh, you know, if they resurrect dinosaurs, they will need to put them some implants so that they sound, you know, like in exactly. Jurassic Park. You know, it's not everybody so that people are not disappointed. <laughs> Um, Bastien, you, you did, uh, so back in your internship, you saw everything that's, well, or, or several professions and part of the, of the art of mm -hmm. sound. Uh, now you just told us about Foley, but you also do, uh, soundtracks. Uh, what, what part of it do you enjoy the most? At the moment, ah, if the, any? the trick question. Yeah. <laughs> Oh,
If you want more of the Peaceful Creativity Podcast, go to peacefulcreativity.com slash join the tribe. You will get the episodes before anybody else, the free easy tools for immediate inner peace ebook, the fun favorite and uncensored sound filter Sunday, and much more. You also get the satisfaction of supporting independent podcasting and help keeping the project alive. All of this for free. So go to peacefulcreativity.com slash join the tribe. The link is in the show notes. Thanks for listening and as always, peace.